But now you know there was a man named Jack Dawson and that he saved me in every way that a person can be saved. That's where we left off last time, if you remember. I like to show uh, movie clips uh, because I think they tap into things that our hearts know, that our hearts believe and hope, but our minds just struggle to comprehend. They're like the Bible stories in that way. At the end of Titanic, in the clip you just saw, You know, old Rose drops off to sleep or death, and she journeys to the wreck of the Titanic, deep beneath the sea. She enters an open door, and everything old has become new. Jack's waiting for her at the clock, and all these people that we met in her story, they break into applause, for the groom has redeemed his bride And a great party, a great, incredible party has begun. A party that now includes all these diverse people united together in adoration, praise, and love. There's an old Titanic, and on the other side of judgment and the sea, there's a new Titanic. There's an old Jerusalem, And there's a new Jerusalem, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. It was coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will wipe away their tears. God will be with them as their God. Wipe away their tears from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Everything old passes away. Every 
Jerusalem that we build is destroyed. Every Titanic sinks to the bottom of the sea. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Everything old passes away. And everything old becomes new. For he makes all things new. Revelation 5.13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. All these diverse creatures, yet every creature singing the same song in ecstasy, That's heaven. That's the new creation. In some form, we all long for it. And in some way, we all try to make it happen. For the last two sermons, we've been talking about Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark is literally the new creation floating in the midst of judgment on the old creation. And in the ark is the new community where the wolf lies down with the lamb. The wolf doesn't eat the lamb. God builds the ark. I mean, he grows the wood. He sets the stage. He puts everything in its place, but he has Noah pound the nails. The ark sets down on a holy mountain. Jesus Christ and him crucified on a holy mountain is our ark. God supplies the ingredients, puts everything in its place, and we pound the nails. The ark is built with our sin, revealing God's grace, body broken and blood shed. Christ's body is the ark, and we become that ark in this world, body broken, blood shed, out of love. The church of Jesus Christ is the new creation floating in a flood of judgment upon the old creation. The true church is a lifeboat. The true church is a new community governed by a new song. Last week, I showed you this picture of my high school lunchroom. Remember Heritage High School, 1974? Soccer players, band geeks, football players. I told you how communities would form in the lunchroom. They'd form in pride and fear as we created dividing walls of hostility to protect ourselves, dividing walls that would become prisons. So soccer players only ate with soccer players. Band geeks ate with band geeks and stoners with stoners. And you judge yourself as in by judging somebody else out. And that reminded us of of this, uh, communities, even in our city and the way that I saw them back in 1974 with normal right here and, and you know, Grizzly Adams cabin people up here and cowboys and horse girls over, over here, communities in our city, how I saw them. And we create dividing walls and fear and uh, pride, dividing walls of hostility. Yet we talked about the door to the new community that's always open. When we see that Jesus, the heart of God, is always open to us, then our hearts open up to others, and God uses us to save others. And you remember, we talked about this. 
when the Titanic sank, 1,500 people went into the sea, third class and um, steerage primarily. There were 20 lifeboats, and all but one came back to save the drowning people. We looked at this the time before last, and it kind of reminded us of this. It reminded us of, of our city. A lot of lifeboats and resources, lots of drowning people, and we dreamed of rowing our lifeboats, our churches, our resources back to the center of the sea. As God uses us, to save others, we ourselves are being saved. Because we talked about how really it was the folks in the lifeboats that most needed saving, the folks that were stuck in the lifeboats. So as God uses all of us to save each other, we grow into that new community, the new creation, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven, even on earth. Now, I know that that's uh, an awful lot. So for now, I just want you to remember this much. Heaven is a new community. It's the great society, the new society. And in some form, we all dream of it and try to make it happen. Adolf Hitler tried to make it happen. He called it the Third Reich. Joseph Stalin tried to make it happen. He called it the communist state. We try to make it happen with free market capitalism and sometimes confuse it with America. With religion, we try to make it happen. Sometimes we call it the church. But it usually doesn't feel like the kingdom of heaven. Thy kingdom come. How does it come? And how do we build it? Well, that's my question That's my review of the last two sermons and my introduction to this sermon, so let's pray, all right? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to preach. And Lord Jesus, I think we're beginning to see that your church is called to be the new creation, called to be the new community, called to be the lifeboat. And Lord Jesus, we believe, at least some of us believe, that you have called us to be that new community, that lifeboat, that sanctuary downtown. And so, Lord God, would you help us just to understand what it is and how it happens. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 10 begins to give the genealogy of the three sons of Noah, Shem, Japheth, and Ham. Genesis uh, gives most of his time to Shem. Now, this is really weird, but the name Shem is also the Hebrew word for name. So get this. Noah literally names his oldest son name. He's named Name. The genealogy of Shem is divided into two sections. Each section is the line of one of the two great grandsons of Shem that were, quote, divided as the world was divided. After the first genealogy of one of the grandsons of Shem or one of the grandsons of Name, we read this. 
Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Don't know if they're the right words, but they're the same words. And so people migrated from the east. They found, or migrated in the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, the land of two rivers, and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen or tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let us make a name. Literally in Hebrew, let us make a shim for ourselves, which you see is a little bit ironic because it's clearly implied that the sons of shim could have inherited a shim, inherited a name from name himself. But they say, hey, let's make a name for ourselves. I can relate to that. Let's build a church. Let's make it huge. Let's make it strong. Let's make a name for ourselves. I think that's called pride. Let's make a name for ourselves lest we not be dispersed. I think that's called fear, the flip side of pride. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. I think that's called disobedience because God told them to fill the earth, fill it. Well, in disobedience, they unite through pride and fear, saying, come, let us make bricks. So they begin to build walls and a city and a tower. You can still see towers in the land of Shinar to this day in Babylon. Um, They're called uh, ziggurats. Ziggurats, uh, uh, I think it even means man-made mountain, and that's what they look like, like man-made mountains. They made them out of mud bricks and tar rather than stone and mortar. And if you go to Iraq, you can still see them to this day. Well, to make the bricks, they'd place mud in rectangular uh, forms, and and these molds would then envelop the mud, you know how they make bricks, until the mud would dry out enough so that they could be baked into, into bricks. So you see, all the bricks were square and just the same. More and more and more and more of the same bricks. The city is made out of dust fashioned into identical bricks. God also makes something out of dust. He makes people out of dust. But no two are just the same. And God also makes a city. Yet every stone in his temple is different. You know, when men build societies through pride and fear, they tend to make everyone just the same. When we live in pride and fear, we tend to make ourselves just the same. In pride and fear, we want a whole bunch of just the same. In other words, we we want a crowd. Soren Kierkegaard wrote this, the crowd is like an envelope. One receives a large package thinking it's something, but look, It's a package of envelopes. That's a crowd. People see this large tower and think, wow, that's really something. But it's just more of the same. Brick upon brick upon brick upon brick upon brick. Over and over and over again. You know, I visited Romania in 1990. 
To construct a great society, the communists built cement housing blocks everywhere, square rooms all the same, endless, identical boxes for your body as well as your mind. Countless Christians had been martyred, for you see, they would not fit in the boxes. Kierkegaard writes, the crowd is indeed untruth. The truth is related to the single individual. Therefore, everyone who will genuinely serve the truth is by that very fact a martyr. You know, Jesus, the truth, was martyred by the crowd. Well, anyway, the communists, they built these boxes to house the crowd and to shape the crowd. And you know, Hitler built boxes, and we, the people, the democratic people, we, we also build boxes. C.S. Lewis wrote this, a society which becomes democratic in ethos or ethic, as well as in constitution, is doomed. Not much loss either. In other words, if we think the right is whatever is the same, we're doomed. It's just a package of envelopes. So Paul says, don't let this world, the popular vote, squeeze you into its mold. You know, in an effort to make a name for itself and seize control, the church, or I should say the institutional church, makes boxes too. With every form of church government, we're tempted to make molds, shape people in our own image, squeeze them into our molds. But masses of mimickers, a crowd of copycats, are wasted lives, writes Kierkegaard. God has been merciful to us, demonstrating his grace to the point of being willing to involve himself with every person. If we prefer to be like all the others, this amounts to high treason, against God. Instinctively, man has a tactic he uses against spirit. The spirit of God that relates individually to each one of us bearing witness to the truth in our heart. Instinctively, man has a tactic he uses against spirit. Here it is. Let us form a crowd. Let me put it another way. Let us make bricks and build a city and a tower, a tower with its top into the heavens. Next verse. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Kind of like this. You see, I think it's kind of like a joke. God has to come down just to see the top of this great tower. See it? Go ahead and show that picture, Ben. That's actually a broken ziggurat in Ur. That's the Babylonian city from which God called Abraham, then Abram. Verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And not the right language, but the same language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, he said. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. In other words, if they want to build hell on earth, they'll be able to do it. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language 
so that they may not understand one another's speech. Some say God never brings confusion. Well, God is not confused, but he's more than happy to tear down our faulty towers and confuse our wicked paradigms with truth. You know, Jesus did tend to confuse people, especially scribes and Pharisees. Isaiah chapter 2, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall. God destroys all our towers. (laughs) And you know, one day, every one of us will die. The dust of our flesh will be dispersed, scattered over the face of the earth. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The societies that we manufacture, the cities that we build with our flesh, they may be titanic. They may be huge, but they're cities constructed with pride and fear, and thus they're cities of disobedience, cities of unanimity, cities of bondage that bear the fruit of death. You know, there was a particular society, high society, on the top deck of the Titanic, It was made of those that had built the Titanic and controlled the world and had made a name for themselves. And yet there was the makings of a very different society, a new society within the Titanic and down below. I saw my whole life as if I'd already lived it. An endless parade of parties and cotillions, yachts and polo matches. Always the same narrow people, the same mindless chatter. I felt like I was standing at a great precipice with no one to pull me back. <laughs> Mr. Dawson is joining us from the third class. He was of some assistance to my fiance last night. Well, join me in a brandy, gentlemen. What a good idea. Yes. Now they retreat into a cloud of smoke and congratulate each other on being masters of the universe. Here you go, Molly. Joining us, Dawson? Well, you don't want to stay out here with the women, do you? (laughs) No, thanks. I've got to be heading back. Ah, probably best. We'll be on business and politics, that sort of thing. Wouldn't interest you. Time for me to go row with the other slaves. No, no. Thank you.
So you want to go to a real party? So you want to go to a real party? See, your heart knows the answer. And I think Jesus says, well, then meet me at the clock. Jack says, meet me at the clock. It's a decision between time and eternity. And Jack takes her from a society built of pride and fear to a society of humility and joy. Every class, every background united by a song and manifest in, in a dance we see God destroys all of our arrogant cities and topples all of our tall towers and sinks our Titanic and confuses our faithless speech. Listen to Zephaniah 3. In the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. He scatters but then he gathers with a new speech. Well, the people that want to make a name, a shem for themselves, are scattered. Then Genesis 11 records the lineage of the other line of shem. It ends with a fellow named Abram. And God says to Abram, I will bless you and make your name great. And God the Father gives Abram a new name. Abraham means father of nations. He inherits his name from God the Father by grace through faith, and it's counted as righteousness. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are saved. Proverbs 18. Well, through Abraham's seed... God builds an ark, a temple, a city, an entire new creation. Jesus the Christ is Abraham's seed. He gives you a new name, and you inherit it. You run into it like a strong tower, and that name makes you. Listen to this. That name makes you. You don't make it. When Jesus was crucified, every paradigm, every tower of man was shattered. And the followers of Jesus were scattered, but they returned to the city and waited as Jesus had commanded. And then the prophecy of Zephaniah, it came true. A flood of fire and a new speech. 
When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I pray in tongues, and would that you all prayed in tongues kind of cool. But you see, it's a very minor miracle compared to what Scripture describes, describes next, because next, Scripture describes the undoing of Babel. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound of the multitude, well, they came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each, each of us in his own language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians? We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God, and all were amazed. Amazed. All these different, scattered, not the same people, amazed and then unified by one speech, one word, one song, and the song was the song of praise. Praise for the mighty works of God. And what are the mighty works of God? What are they for you? I mean, for me, I would say the mightiest works of God would be that he saved me. <laughs> and the fact that he saved you, that might be a pretty mighty work of God. Me and you, same song, different verse. Same substance, different form. Like we preach, the form of your disobedience, you know, becomes the form of God's mercy. Where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more. So the unique form of old sinful you is also the unique form of the glorious new you. Different form, same substance. Your sin forms the void into which God pours the fiery liquid gold of his grace. And so your song of praise is unique in all creation. Yet it's the same as all creation. All finished creation. Amazing grace, the same. That saved a wretch like me, unique. So Paul sings amazing grace. I was the chief of sinners and a Pharisee. And now I am the apostle of grace to the Gentiles. Mary Magdalene sings, amazing grace, ah, I was a prostitute, and now I'm the bride of Christ. And St. Peter sings, amazing grace, I denied him three times, I was soft as mud, but he gave me a new name, Rock, <laughs> on which he built his church. You see, into the old dirt bag that you think is you, God breathes his spirit and makes you new. Not a square mud brick, 
like all the rest, but a living stone with a new name. So Peter wrote, come to him, to that living stone, rejected by men, but in God's sight, chosen and precious. And like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We don't build it. God builds it out of us. It's the bride of Christ. Even now, she, we, it is coming down. Jesus said it, the new Jerusalem that is coming down. And he also said this, the kingdom of God is among you, within you, in the midst of you. When we gather and speak the language of praise for the wonders of grace, we speak the language of heaven and we become an outpost of heaven. We become the presence of the new creation as we join all finished creation singing praise to the lamb on the throne. You see, heaven is all these diverse, not the same creatures singing the same song in ecstasy. So now the question is, do you want to go to a real party or not? Acts chapter 2, verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked and said, those guys are drunk, filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men aren't drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And Peter goes on to preach the gospel, saying, repent and be baptized Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's a new community. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceedings to all as any had need, and day by day, uh, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, that's the kingdom of God on earth. And how did it come? Well, people didn't make it come. And men didn't build it. And they certainly did not make a name for themselves. In fact, it was really just the opposite. They were scattered. And they were humbled. And Jesus appeared and told them to wait in the city. It appears, actually, that they waited in a rented room and prayed. On Pentecost, the fire came. They were filled with the Spirit, and God gave them new speech. The Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, who is the very Word of God, that speech. They lose themselves and find themselves praising God, drunk by His Spirit. All these different people sharing one Spirit, all these diverse personalities singing one song, the song manifests in a dance of love, 
that is their life. And so instead of a society of pride, fear, disobedience, unanimity, bondage, and death, it's a society of humility and joy and obedience that is diversity and freedom. It's life. And it grows. As God adds to their numbers day by day, God adds to their numbers, but how? I mean, what do people see? How do people, all those people, how do they know? Well, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this. I told you, you know, about my high school lunchroom in 1974 and how it was. Well, imagine if you went to a high school lunchroom and you just saw this. I mean, imagine if you saw that. High school lunchroom full of cliques, dividing walls of hostility. Then all these different people, all these different groups moving in diverse yet perfectly coordinated, synchronized movements. I mean, if you just saw that, wouldn't you be amazed? I mean, if you just saw that, you'd think to yourself, such diversity, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, soccer players, band geeks, and stoners, all different, and yet suddenly coordinated as one, and you'd think to yourself, my gosh, that looks like a dance. So they must be hearing a song. Those people must be hearing a song that I can't hear. And of course they are. That's just a scene from that geeky movie, High School Musical, with the sound turned all the way off. But do you understand? The kingdom of heaven is a musical. The revelation reveals that. They never stop singing. The kingdom of heaven is a musical. It's a musical, and the spirit of Christ is the music. Yet for some in this world, the sound is turned off. So when people see your love for one another, they think there must be a song. There must be a music that I can't hear. So do you get it? It really is not a building. It's not a philosophy, not a strategy, not a program. We have buildings, philosophies, strategies, and programs. They're they're all good, but they are not the church. They are not the lifeboat. The new community animated by the spirit of Jesus is the lifeboat. You all are it. You're it. You're it. The mystery hidden for generations and ages. You're it, Christ in you. You know, when you love each other in the spirit of Christ, people look and they think, They know something I don't know. They hear music that I don't hear. They're singing a song uh, that I'm not singing. I want to hear and I want to sing. For look, that dance is beautiful. My gosh, it looks like life. It's a lifeboat. And you see, if you were all just the same, like bricks in a row, or soldiers in uniform marching in unison. Well, I think the world would look and think, you know, that's, I think that's just one more Tower of Babel. But because you're different, yet united, it looks like a body. 
and testifies to life, you're the dancing body of Jesus the Christ, the new community. And all that much more beautiful because none of you are the same. You see, I think that's what God is doing with us. Even rather uniquely. Remember this? You see, it really does matter that some of you drive all the way from the suburbs. I'm so grateful for that. And it really does matter that some of you live in the city. It really matters that some have means and some don't. It really matters that some are poor and some are not as poor. That some are black and some are white. Some are old and some are young. That some are Republicans and some are Democrats. That some come from one particular culture and others come from a very different kind of culture. The mix matters. It makes the dance that much more beautiful. And this mix matters most of all. Some of you struggle with homosexual sins. Some of you struggle with heterosexual sins. Some of you have committed adultery. And if you look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Worst place to commit it. Some of you have prostituted yourself for money or for acceptance or for security. Some of you have committed murder in the flesh or in heart. And before God, I don't think there's really a difference. Some have stolen. Some have run in fear. Some have slandered. Some have gossiped. Some have even disrespected their parents. You know, I've heard just about every sin you can imagine confessed by people in this room. Many of them right here on this platform before all of you. And so let's do this. Uh, think of the sin that has most defined you in the past, okay? And let's just say it all together. At the count of three, we'll say it, okay? Now listen, if you, if you have a sin that's real particular and embarrassing and you've got to talk to your wife later, you can make it general, you know, okay? All right? But, but think of the sin that's most defined you in your past. Hate, fear, lust, greed, despair, cowardice, addiction. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a whole lot of them. And at the count of three, I want you to say that sin out loud, okay? Do you understand? Everybody got it? You got your sin? Okay, at the count of three, you're going to say it out loud. One, two, three. Fear. Okay, let's try it again, but louder. Okay, ready? <laughs> we'll just scream it out. Okay, what? You, you can add more to them, Joe, if you want. Okay, just go off. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Cowardice. Did you hear that? There are a lot of different sins, right? All different, all sorts of sins. 
And now at the count of three, I want you to say the name of the one that saves you, fills you, and makes all things new. One, two, three. Jesus! <laughs> you see, that's beautiful. That's the new creation. And that's the start of a real party. For on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken and given to you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the eternal covenant, in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. And so we invite all of you who just yelled a moment ago to come forward and surrender that empty place in your heart that is that, that sin, that emptiness inside you, and receive the mercy that is Jesus Christ your Lord, because you see, you really are his body dancing in this world for all the world to see. And so come to the table. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice, they're both blood. Take communion and then dance. In Jesus' name, worship him. It's the language of heaven. Amen. And so heaven is the very best party. And the party starts here, and it starts now by faith. And I don't know about you, but if I go to a party, I want to go to a party with a lot of weird people. I mean, I don't want everybody to just be all the same, sitting there with their hands crossed, smiling, all afraid and insecure. I mean, I want rednecks having truck-pushing contests in the parking lot, and I want old church ladies and little kids dancing to accordion music. You see, I'm describing an actual party, the best party that I've ever been to, and that was my wedding party, when everybody in my life came together, relatives, rednecks, church people, and they all celebrated with me the fact that I had won a bride. And you see, heaven is the ultimate party, and it's also our home. There are a lot of homeless people in this world. A couple weeks ago, we had a ministry team meeting, and Francis invited two people from our congregation that had been homeless just to share their story. Very different stories, but both of them homeless. And in both cases, it became pretty clear to me, because I asked a bunch of questions trying to figure out what can we do, what programs can we institute, how can we organize. It became very clear to me uh, that what they wanted wasn't a program, but a home. And we're all homeless, aren't we? We all long for the new community that is our Father's house. And you see, it begins here. You really are it. Oh, if your eyes could just be opened and see the immeasurable greatness of power that is in you. That is y'all. You're the lifeboat. In Jesus' name, amen.